When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. He'll come back to the left. But Stanislas into the six-yard box. Blocked away. Still the Cherries have it. Stanislas to the byline. And Junior Stanislas has scored. Very long 15 minutes. He did it against United straight from a corner. Same angle, much closer. What a start here at Old Trafford. It's Junior Stanislas from an impossible angle. It's Manchester United nil, Bournemouth 1. Hello and welcome to episode 88 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. My name's Sam Davis and it's a happy Monday to you. Well, is it? Bournemouth lost 5-2 at Old Trafford at the weekend at the hands of Manchester United. And whilst the defeat looks awful on paper, there were some bright sparks. So with five games to go in the Premier League campaign, can we do it? Mm, Not sure. One of them is probably a write-off, but the other four may be winnable. Who knows? Later in the show, Jeff Hayward is going to be joined by Neil Dawson and we're going to be going over the weekend's defeats. But before that, we need to do a bit of this. So Josh King scored a Premier League penalty. It feels like a long time since we've converted one. So the question this week is simply that. When was the last time that AFC Bournemouth scored a Premier League penalty? Can you remember? Was it this season? Was it last season? If you get it, kudos to you. So that's the question. When was the last time we scored a Premier League penalty? So we're going to give you the answer at the end of the show. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, can we just say, firstly, thank you very much. And everyone that's joined the full-time free-for-all, really appreciated all your thoughts. If you want to give us a like on YouTube and a subscribe, we would really appreciate it. So go to youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. And when you go to it, 
just hit that thumbs up button on the first video you see but above all subscribe because that really helps us out but in terms of do you remember yep we're going to be giving you the answer at the end of the show but before that here are some views straight after the game Yeah, I'm feeling pretty positive. Honestly, I mean, that's that's the most enjoyable bit of football I've seen in a while from us. I know that we got completely torn to shreds you know, every time Manchester United went forward. At, you know, at times it looked like, um, you know, they could have scored probably six or seven more, you know, and it was going to be one of those types of games. But I'm trying to look at the positives here. We created more. We looked like we played with some freedom. I thought technically we were better playing out the back. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see that as a positive, Eddie. He actually looked like he had a smile on his face at parts of the game. I mean, he, he'll be disappointed with the goals. The one thing I will say, Sam, that frustrated me a little bit is every time we got ourselves really in the game, you know, we, we made it 3-2. The, the, the naiveness, the, the youth of our team is just so exposed in those moments. I think we could have cleared our lines in that little scrappy passage of play before Greenwood goes and scores. If we could just survive in those moments and actually play our way back into the game, I think we had a goal chalked off for our side, could have tied it up. It's the small things right now, but I'm taking massive pride in that type of game. I have to now. I'm obviously sat here feeling a little bit dejected, obviously because of the loss and the fact that we've conceded the most amount of goals, but also on the same side, I'm also feeling, you know, quite positive about all of that because, you know, there was a real, you know, impetus. It felt like a little bit more of the old Bournemouth um, that we've, you know, seen in previous games. So, I mean, really, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that probably maybe a seven, seven and a half. You know, it's, um, like I say, it's, it's a real strange one because you just think to yourself, I mean, our season seems to have been defined by a lot of, you know, silly mistakes, either misplaced passes. Um, and if we just sort of take those out of the, out of the game, obviously, as well as some of the VAR decisions, you never know. We, we could be sat in a much better position than what we currently are at the moment. I reckon this is going to be another great escape. I honestly think, like, we're comfortable on the ball. That that goal that got chalked off was was too harsh. I reckon it should have been three. At best, we should have at least lost, I don't know, three, two or four or four, two, because... The set piece, the Bruno Fernandez free kick, definitely offside. Like they, they that's what they need to fix. If we stay up, that's what they need to fix next season. They need to fix the VR. But we played so well. If we played like this against Wolves, or if we played like this against Crystal Palace, we've got three points or a point at least. Like when I when I saw Stanislas score that goal, I screamed. I went fucking mental. Like I screamed my head off. Like, I, 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 I thought Stanislas wouldn't score. I thought he'd either square it or it'd either go wide. But it literally, it's not the first, like it's not the first time he'd done out of the hair. Do you think Eddie, I mean, here's a question for you guys. Do you think Eddie, if, let's say we stay up, do you think Eddie will stay? Do you think he'll want to stay after he's seen some of the, I mean, I think he, he doesn't stay. go on social well, media. Well, I, I think the situation's changed with Eddie now. I don't think he's going to be in demand anymore, if I'm being honest, like he was previously. I mean, he was second on the list for the England job when, you know, Gareth Southgate was up there for the job. Uh, the counter-argument I have with Eddie Howe is, I mean, I put out there six months ago when he was under pressure then, is that I don't necessarily think he should have been sacked um, because he's a legend. He's given me memories that I could never have dreamed of. 
But my argument has always been is that he's he's never in a position where pressure's been put on him to maybe change his ways or, or think of something different. It's almost like the word that he's unsackable. Um, if you take any other manager, in my opinion, in this league that has the same run of form or disappointing results, was it one in 21 or something, you pretty much say any other manager in this league loses their job. Um, I, and, I, and I said last week, you know, for me, we stick with Eddie now. If we're going to the championship, he's the right man for the job. But I shouldn't think that anyone should be that anyone should be too comfortable. That's my counter argument to it. And that's the same comment I had six months ago. That's the kind of performance we were looking for today, right? We we were complaining before. I mean, Newcastle was terrible. Dot Wolves was okay. Palace wasn't great. But today we played well, and the, there was a free flowing game. Um, you know, we're playing one of the most informed teams in, in United. Um, we we have to just now, and I said this before, we have to go one and zero. We have to look at each game separately. We have to win one game at a time, and then try to to do the greatest escape ever. And I just have a feeling that we're going to do it. I, I don't know why, but I agree with Reeves. I think we're going to, I think we're going to, we're going to surprise everybody. I think we play well against Leicester and I think we can get a result there, uh, against them. And I think maybe we get a, get a result against Spurs. So some brilliant raw opinion there straight after the match with our full-time free-for-all. And if you want to take part after any of the games after this lockdown, well, immediately, straight after full-time, just go to afcbpodcast.com forward slash take part and that will take you straight through to our broadcast room. All you need is a pair of headphones and just tap your name, put your name in and then just allow the camera and the microphone and hit the blue button that says enter broadcast studio and we'll be going live with your opinion we would really appreciate it so thoughts on manchester united versus bournemouth 5-2 not a great result but here's what jeff hayward and neil dawson had to say with me to discuss everything that went on this weekend is neil dawson neil how are you i'm very good i'm very good thank you very much jeff yourself yeah you know um yeah, feeling surprisingly better than uh, than I did the other day. So, uh, yeah, well, I saw that team sheet and I was nervous straight away. What did you think? Uh, I was surprised. Uh, I was surprised straight away. I was out. I was out yesterday, so I picked it up on the phone um, originally, and uh, I'd not managed to catch up on any social media prior to it. So, my initial thought, well, first thought was, where was Steve Cook and what was all that about? Uh, mm-hmm. Second. Second thought was where was Chris Mappham, um, and uh, then you wonder was there anything to was was were those two things connected or not? Um, and uh, a little surprised we went with two up front um, because I just assumed uh, away at a big team we wouldn't. Um, uh, Rico back, uh, so yeah, it was um, it, it, it raised probably more questions than answers when you looked at it on paper. There were definitely some rumours that because of Steve Cook's outburst that he had come out in the press and said he wasn't very happy about uh, Cook calling the performance against Newcastle embarrassing uh, and telling that story of the 30-minute lock-in after the game. I mean, I felt good on you, actually, for doing that because, you know, we needed to feel that there was some real genuine hurt and actions being taken. But uh, there didn't seem to be any connection. He's Apparently, he's got a, a slight hamstring problem. 
We'll never know. Mm. <laughs> we'll never know. I think football clubs are full of stories like that, aren't they? People that have walked into changing room doors uh, and uh, and all sorts that we've had in the past, haven't we, at this club? Um, I don't think we'll ever know. I don't. I don't really think it matters, to be honest, because um, lots of stuff goes on at football clubs. I think what Eddie has come out and said was he wasn't worried about the inquest, uh, the 30-minute inquest. It was just the bit that it got leaked to the uh, leaked to media. That's what he was uh, irritated about. Um, I would imagine he probably really encourages players taking a bit of self-leadership and uh, sorting stuff out because sometimes, you know, they might want to talk about Eddie. They might want to talk about the coaching team. Sometimes it's best thrashed out without um, the actual true leaders in the room. I think it's quite a common tactic that a number of managers have used over the years and there's probably no one better than Steve Cook to lead it because he's he's someone that would probably feel the hurt of dropping out the division, having worked so hard to get into it all his career. Indeed. So Lloyd uh, Kelly plays centre-half in his, uh, what, his third game for us pretty yeah. much in the last year and a, I don't know how long it's been. Anyway, uh, so that gives us three left-footers out of that back four. Um, he'd never played centre-half before, not that I'm aware of anyway. Um, so that was interesting. I felt a little bit more alarmed that we were um, still playing Solanke up front with King. What did you think about that choice? Well, first of all, Kelly, he has played there because he plays there for England under-21s. Uh, so he plays in a back three uh, for England under-21s. And I, as I understand it, um, Eddie sees him long-term as a centre-half uh, because he's not, if you think of, the type of fullback style that he likes. He's not, he's never going to gallivant down, get to the byline, go past two people like Charlie Daniels and Simon Francis did in their pomp. He's not that sort of player. So I think we will see him migrate to centre back in the same way Tyrone Mings uh, was signed as a left back uh, from Ipswich and migrated to centre back. So uh, in terms of Dominic Solanke, um, uh, I suppose. If you were to be kind to him, he wasn't the worst player against Newcastle. Uh, although, uh, you, I mean, you're really scraping the barrel to not be the worst player against in that in that performance. Mm. Um, so perhaps with Callum Wilson out, it wouldn't surprise me if Eddie had said to him that you got two games to prove yourself. Um, because he was no worse than anyone else against Newcastle and arguably slightly better than some, um, I suppose that's why he was in. I was more surprised just from a formation point of view because I thought we would... Uh, the way United are playing at the moment, I think they were 15 um, unbeaten, weren't they? And um, and flying at home, I thought we would have dropped an extra midfielder in there with Dan Gosling um, having come on and scored. I thought we'd have seen him breaking uh, off Josh King. Uh, and I think we'd have been better had we done that, personally. I know it's easy to be wise after the event. Um, and also Dominic Solanke is probably a bigger topic in general, isn't he, in terms of yeah. is he a Premier League centre-forward? How long can you how long can you carry on playing the way he is and you know, without that being questioned? Yeah, I, I I, still have no idea what his favoured position is, whether he wants to play up front on his own, whether he plays off somebody else, whether he plays alongside somebody. I mean, I just I just can't see a fit for him, certainly in the, in the, the sort of forward line that we've got. And, uh, well, you know, we started off 4-4-2 and whilst we started off quite positively... It, it felt a bit end to end right from the start, and and uh, Fernandez was getting in between our midfield and our defence, which was causing us problems early on. Although counteracting that, we seemed to be breaking with a bit more confidence and speed than we did uh, certainly against Newcastle. 
Yeah, it looked a little bit. I think that's why when you read everyone's posts, everyone seems a little bit more optimistic um, because we we turned into a counter attacking side, and then recently we've turned into a counter attacking side that doesn't counter attack, which is uh, <laughs> uh, hence why we, you know, some of the stats that we've had are just eye watering in terms of how could you play that many minutes of football without having a at least a soft shot on target defies belief, doesn't it? So, I think the uh, I think where the positivities come from with some of the fans is I don't think we expected to win. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is clearly turning Manchester United into a side to watch for next year uh, with some outstanding players. Um, and I think yeah, we got caught a number of times between the lines, which is very Bournemouth at the moment. So one thing we need to address, whatever division we're in, this. Uh, this uh, next season because we're so flat in terms of whatever formation we play that they, they still play in straight lines and people can easily get between us uh, and we never get between other people. Um, so, but yeah, we, I mean, we attacked, uh, the, the fullbacks got more into the game. I thought Rico looked bright in places and it, it looked like a little bit more like the Bournemouth of old, but we were so fragile um, on the cat to be attacked back against, weren't we? We were. Um, having said that, I thought there were a number of standout players, um, Junior Stanislas being one of them. I think it showed yesterday just what we've missed. You know, he's he's intelligent with his passing. He's quick and zippy, moves it, moves it very quickly around the pitch and took his goal with, you know, what, what a beauty. I, I think um, there's nothing more delightful than seeing the England centre-half nutmegged. Yeah, and then, no. and then De Gea beating on his near post. It was beautiful to watch, wasn't it? It was the sort of goal that if Aguero had scored it against Manchester United in front of um, 60,000 people at the Etihad, people would have been talking about it and shown it. I think it's a shame that there was no one there and it was us because it, it really was. I mean, he showed just great skill to do that. I mean, the, that's the frustrating thing about Junior Stanislas. He, I mean, if you go back three years, we had a spell where we, we literally revolved around him. Um, uh, I think there was a good sort of like 10, 15 games where he was scoring a lot of goals. He was like the go-to player to get the ball to. Um, I mean, he's, he's just had such a strange career because he's so stop-start, uh, both in terms of fitness and also in terms of form, because there's been times where he's been fit and he's just not been worth a place. Um, but then when you see him do something like that yesterday, that's that's the junior Stanislas we all know that is within him. Uh, and he did really well to take, put that at the near post past De Gea because you could see De Gea was clearly shocked. He had his arm out. He just wasn't expecting it. It was great and a great lift for the team. I think they all felt good after that goal went in and you could see it, it, it impacted upon the way they played. You know, the, the defensive... Uh, play after that immediately after that goal was that we were a lot more compact and we were difficult to break down and you, you suddenly began to believe in the, probably in the same way that we believed at Anfield when we went 1-0 up that oh actually we, we might be able to hang on but uh, yeah 29 minutes now um, where where do you start with that goal should it have been a foul do you think on Rico um they, they sit in that bracket of they get given, they don't get given. So uh, I, I would imagine Man United would have, had they been defending and had a full crowd, they'd have had that given as a foul because the crowd would all have gone up. I think, uh, I think you know, technically it probably was a foul, but it wasn't. It wasn't so obvious that that I think we can go on and on and on about it because the, those ones do slip through the net. So you you just got to defend what happens afterwards. And the problem was it was Rico out of position. 
yeah. Rashford occupies that position. The ball then sort of comes across. And I'm not sure about Smithy the last couple of games. Um, he seems... He, I, I don't doubt his commitment and his passion and his love for the club and he's, he's trying. I just think he's, he's switched off a little bit from what a good defender ought to do. And he gets suckered to go to the ball. Greenwood, um, I mean, it's an excellent finish, but um, we just we just felt like it was a bit soft to me. I don't know about you. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, Smith, I'd say he's not... I think he's hacked off, I would say. I, 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 I think the players fall into two camps um, when you're trying to dissect what's going wrong. I think there's a group of players that have already made their mind up where they're playing next year. Uh, and it's not us. And then I think there's a group of players who know that they're going to probably be here next year who resent that a bit. And I would imagine, without any inside knowledge, that the kickoff in the changing rooms that everyone was talking about with Steve Cook would have been players like Steve Cook, Andrew Sermon, Simon Francis, who are like, you know, this this could mean a 50% salary reduction for them. And for a lot of them, their opportunity to play at the big stadium is gone forever. Um, and I think Smith probably falls in that camp because I don't think he's done enough this year to be picked up by a decent side as a right back. And I think, so I think a lot of it, I, I just think he doesn't look as happy as he used to. And I, I think that might be the reason, but it's pure guessing on, on my part. In terms of the goal, like a lot of goals we can see this season, no one got close enough to them. So um, I didn't see the game till I got back. Uh, I was working yesterday, but I was listening to the radio commentary and Whoever it was that was doing the co-commentary and ex-pro just kept saying, I cannot believe why Bournemouth don't get close to Manchester United. They're not closing them down. Um, and he said, it, 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 you know, it's... And I think that goal reflected that. There was too much time. There was too much space. And I think Ramsdale isn't getting his hands to shots that he should he should possibly get his hands to. And I thought we saw that with a, a few of the goals yesterday. Um, I mean, he's been outstanding all season. There's no criticism of him as a player, but... I think Arthur Boric in his prime would have got his hand to a lot of those because they weren't, they were all, they were all within reach. They all would have been fantastic saves, but for him not to make any of them, I just thought was a bit, a, a bit odd. That's something that I've not thought about all season until yesterday. Should we give Rambo a rest? Cause he's conceded nine in the last two games. And maybe it's just, I mean, I think he's an outstanding talent, but maybe it's just affecting his judgment a little bit and his confidence. I think if Borat was younger, uh, it, it's been a long time since we've seen Arta and he, he can look a little ring rusty when he first comes back in. I think the Borat two, three years ago would have got to some of those and saved them, but he probably would have made more mistakes than Ramsdale at the same time. So it's, it's yin and yang with those two, I think. Um, I don't think it would do any harm. I don't think anything we do now would do any harm because I think we're in that camp now that unless we do things significantly different, we've gone. Uh, so I don't think anything's off the table. And if you do it and it doesn't work, well, it doesn't really matter because, I mean, how often have we, I don't know what our win rate is in the last sort of 15 to 20 games, but uh, it can't be many, can it? So I think I think it's two, maybe three if we go back to Chelsea, but it's, it's not many, yeah. is it? No. And I think um, the, the penalty itself was a soft penalty to concede as well. The ball just sort of bounced up, hit Adam Smith on the on the arm. Um, I don't think the ref had any alternative but to give a penalty in that sort of situation, do you? No, no. I think uh, particularly all refs are, uh, now have more confidence, I think, because they know that VAR's there to, to help them. But it, it's ball to hand is very clear this season, so it was always going to be given. 
So two one down, and uh, I get irritated by little things. There was really good pressing yesterday. I thought whenever United had the ball, uh, De Gea had the ball, they looked very, very iffy passing the ball out. And we pressed them when we got some really good um, situations where we won the ball back. Um, Solanke is pressing De Gea. The ball comes out. I think it came out to Brooks. Solanke is not back on side quick enough. Mm. The ball comes to him. He does a he does a nice sort of pullback to Brooks who scores. But you think he was he was what a foot offside? Come on, yeah. work a bit harder. We yeah, could have yeah. been two two. Yeah, and I think that's the, that that um, you can see that in patterns all the all the way through since we've come back from lockdown. So the the question is, are we fit? Um, and if we're not fit, then that's that's terrible. But if we are fit. Why is it? So uh, in the Newcastle game, David Brooks, who's, who's not a player we have a question, he, he, um, he just allowed Sam Maxim to run at Smith. He just stopped, just stopped and let him go. And there was a number of times yesterday that, that David Brooks did it. Josh King has jogged back at times where you think if he had, you know, Tony Pulis or Sam Allardyce as a manager, he wouldn't be jogging back in a situation like that. It all seems to just be a little bit, and I think that's what the co-commentator was saying on the radio. It doesn't feel like... Most relegation sides just throw up everything at everything, come off the pitch exhausted, and often lose because of a slight lack of talent. That's the I think that's the frustrating thing. And that Solanke incident you described there is just a is a prime example of someone not busting a gut in a relegation battle, but he's not alone. And then compounding the error by not closing down Martial, who scores on the stroke of halftime. You sort of felt, well, if it goes 2-1 at halftime, we're still in this game. But 3-1 down, it's like, oh, come on. And, yeah. and honestly, you look, at, you look at the way when we're playing well, when we're defending well, the players throw themselves in front of the ball. When we played Brighton and Villa in those must-win games, that's what they did. And the fans responded to it, the team responded to it, and we get... You know, we, we, we defend like our lives matter. And that, again, just felt soft. It was. It was. And I think um, what you can't take away from, though, it was a, a world-class finish into, oh, the, in, absolutely. Into, into the top corner. But there were at least twice beforehand that when they run the analytics, they will point to occasions like, a, you know, Solanke. And I, I don't know who could have got, there was someone else who could have got closer to him just before as well. That didn't, and this is the mystery, isn't it? Because why, you know, we we built a side based on that level of commitment. Because when you haven't got, you know, the, the money and huge amounts of talent in a squad, you rely fully on commitment. And you think of players like Matt Ritchie and Mark Pugh would have been would have closed people down. Um, you know, come what may, they'd have, they'd have got there or they'd have got some, something to it. And it's it's that lack of um, desire to do that that's the big puzzle. And the Martial goals are another example of it. And there were two things that really stood out for me in that first half. Number one, we hardly got the ball to Brooks at all. I mean, Stanislas had a great first half, but everything was going down that United left-hand side. And what what on earth is the attacking plan. Surely it is to get Brooks involved because he is one of our most talented, creative players, but we just seem to be ignoring that side, which yeah. I thought was a little odd. Um, and I thought the second thing was just, okay, should Eddie have perhaps changed it at 1-0? You know, we're leading 1-0. Maybe that was the time to go five in midfield mm. and, and really uh, sort of, 
you know, backs to the wall. Instead, we stayed open and it almost invited United on. I mean, do you want to take both of those points? What do you reckon? I think the it's interesting because I've always had a theory um, that if you've got two right-footed midfielders, the ball goes left. Um, and we, we both Lerma and Lewis Cook um, will naturally will naturally have all of that left-hand side in their periphery vision because they will be looking to play the ball with their right foot. Um, and if you go back to our uh, our side that won the uh, came up from the championship, we we had that we had that sermon to balance, and invariably, if the ball went out to Francis um, or uh, Richie, it came from Sermon. Um, because he yeah. he left, and and when it used to go out to the right, it used to come from Harry Arter. And I think you need that balance when you've got two right-footed midfielders. The ball's always going to go left uh, to the left-hand side because they're going to have to turn or pirouette to get it to go to the right-hand side more naturally. Um, so I think that's that's that. What was the second point again? The- second point was should he perhaps have been a bit more tactically conservative? Like fifteen minutes in, we're one nil, one nil up. Yeah. Defend there. That's the point to bring off the extra striker and put another defensive midfielder. I mean, Gosling for Solanke would have been Michael. What, you mean even when we were 1-0 up? Yeah, you know, like you could see United were getting getting more of the ball. They were building up ahead of steam. Should we have decided then to try and sit on the 1-0? I wouldn't have, yeah, I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have made a substitution. I suppose with the five subs, you could argue you could make a first half sub, couldn't you? But I think you're destroying someone's confidence if you take them off. I think it would be what might have been more plausible would have been to move King out to the to sit him in the right wing position and Brooks um, or, or, or Brooks come into the middle uh, to form to have a sort of like in the number ten role uh, certainly because then that would have frustrated Manchester United and given them you know an, an extra player to have to get through yeah anyway so second half begins and um, there's uh, a lot of criticism sometimes justifiably so I think that Eddie's team talks don't really seem to do much well <laughs> the first uh, five ten minutes of that second half wow you know we came out of the blocks really fast Dan Juma had replaced Brooks mm-hmm. uh, which I think you know is um, again Brooks has an injury but I don't think it's that serious from what I've been reading about it hopefully not mm-hmm. um, Dan Juma came on seemed to inject a bit of life into that um, attacking um, shape as well uh, yeah, you know, we could have been we could have been three three, four three up even, couldn't we? Within ten minutes of that second half. Yeah, I mean, Dan Jim hit the post, didn't he? Um, and uh, I always think you you can tell. We, I mean, me and you, Jeff, we've lived through relegated sides before. Some of the some of the younger fans haven't, haven't they? Because it's been it's probably been a while since our last relegation. But relegation seasons have got a pattern about them that are so predictable. Uh, you, you you have to. Any, you never win when you're off, any slightly off your game in a relegation season. You've got to be absolutely bang on your game to, to get any sort of win. Uh, and I think you also see huge slices of luck go against you as a pattern. So balls hitting posts and coming out as opposed to balls clipping posts and going in. Um, you don't get penalty decisions. Uh, you, you contrast that to our championship season where anything that hit a post went in. Uh, we got a ridiculous amount of penalty decisions and were disliked by other clubs uh, for it. And you can play badly and win um, and, and come off the pitch not quite knowing how you won. So I, th- I just think we're in the opposite of that. And I think that spell, uh, to me, just just summed up 
what a relegation season is about. Obviously, we're not relegated yet, but it, it um, it's possibly on the cards. But the because uh, we did have a great spell, and if either of those, you know, either the chance we've created had gone in, then it, it, you know, Manchester United could have could have been a little bit rocked. I just always thought, however many we scored, they'd score two more. Well, I was I was thrilled that the uh, VAR decision on the the shoulder being handball went in our favour because the Burnley game still smarts in my memory from this season, and I, I thought that I caught I was screaming penalty when it hit him on the shoulder. Mike yeah. Dean gave it. It was you know it was a, a good decision. It was the right decision. It was delightful to hear that the BT referee expert didn't actually know the rules. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was funny, uh, and Josh lots the penalty away. It was just then after that when uh, I think Josh played in Dan Juma and he he scores, but he's offside again. You know, it's that just mar- small margins. You know, just look across the line. I know he's eager and he was keen to impress, and he'd hit the post a minute before. But honestly, you know, if we if we get to three three, that's that kind of um, that would have been great. I had a Man U fan text me, you know, that it should have been 3-3. This was after they scored two more. And I said, well, so it, it, absolutely like you just said, sums us up really mm. that things aren't going for us. And then you could argue that the two United goals that followed, one of them, we should have cleared it. Um, again, there was a marginal offside in that build-up that never got reviewed. Mm-hmm. And then um, the, the free kick, Lloyd Kelly, who I thought played excellently, uh, just a bit over eager, perhaps should have restrained himself, let the player have it. Um, yeah. Instead, fouls him, gives a free kick away in, in uh, Bruno Fernandez's perfect territory, really. Um, and that, again, there's a foot offside in that, which you bet your bottom dollar, if that's us, we get that called against us. Mm-hmm. But doesn't doesn't go uh, against United. They're, they're suddenly they're five to up and cruising. And and the the whole sort of uh, last half hour of the game really felt a bit, um, how can I put it, a little bit meaningless. I mean, there there were encouraging signs yesterday. I thought Josh King was making some good channel runs, which we haven't had. And Lewis Cook was finding him. He seemed to have his range. His passing range was a lot better yesterday, I thought. Um, What were your bright moments for the uh the, the final josh 30 <laughs> interesting josh king playing against man united wasn't it playing well yeah yeah playing, doing okay wasn't he can't yeah. think why can't think why, why that would that be, be. yeah <laughs> so uh i think um yeah i think lloyd uh, seeing lloyd kelly because i do think he is a i do think he will be a centre-back for us so we've got a potential centre-back partnership haven't we uh if we uh if we go down of Kelly and Mepham, um, which I think would be an outstanding uh, with with the backup that that's around them. That would be could be an outstanding partnership. So it's good to see him playing well. Um, like you say, Josh King as well. Bright Lewis. I think Lewis Cook's done all right since uh, since we've come back. I think we're it's a difficult side to play because we've always got the, just the two in midfield. So there's a lot of legwork for them to do. Um, uh, he definitely looks better with uh, with Lerma, um, who does more legwork than Billing. I thought Billing looked poor when he came on again. He looks so out of touch, doesn't he? What is it? He what does. is up with him? Do you think he's already thinking about next season and where he's going to be playing? Well, he can't go anywhere else. Can he? No one, no one else, no one's going to sign him because he'd, he'd have three relegations in a row. It'd be like having Alan Ball come manage you. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. But um, 
what about what about that sort of um, defensive unit? Do you think do you think there needs to be wholesale changes for the next game, or do you think Eddie Eddie can just sort of I don't know have a chat with the players individually about some of those costly errors? What do you reckon? Um, there's just been too many, isn't there? But it, it, I think that the, the I just I I've always thought we need a proper defensive coach. So though Eddie was a centre half, so was Jason Tyndall. On his own admittance, he finds it easier to attack, and they, these are his words, not mine. Finds it easier to coach attacking play than defensive play. Um, and I, I just think we need an old-fashioned defensive coach that really understands where players should stand in different scenarios and work with people individually because as. The players themselves are, I think, are excellent. We all know Nathan Ake and Steve Cook on the day are are fantastic. I think Kelly and Mepham, um, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. Uh, nothing wrong with Smith. Um, Rico, I think, jury's out on. Jack Stacey's strong, strong player. They, they, they should be defending better than they should. And then you've got what is the role of um, central midfielders, uh, in terms of that helping their support out. And I think when you play two, the danger is is that they get caught too far up pitch. You can't have one sitting central midfielder when you've only got two in central midfield. So Jefferson Lerma's always got to do the join the attack, get back, join the attack, get back. So there's, there's something fundamentally wrong with the way we defend as a team. And there has been since we've come into the Premier League. Um, the We knew what it was for the first three years. We just attacked too much and the fullbacks used to get caught up the pitch and they couldn't get back and we got took apart on the break. The byproduct of that, though, was we had the ability to score two or three goals in any game, which was enough, particularly against the lesser sides, to, to keep us up. Now we've took, taken away the desire to do that by becoming a very defensively sat back side, but we've not... We've not coach the intricacies of where to stand one defending and who to pick up and who to leave and what runs to track. So we now just decide that concedes as many goals as we did before without scoring any at the other end. Um, and that's, you know, that's the nut nutshell of it. And I think the only way you'll solve that is to bring in someone that understands how to defend as a football team. I agree. I think four four two can only work if those wide players are a certain type of wide player and Yesterday, I mean, you look at the the wide players that we've got. I think Stanislas has been doing an outstanding defensive duty, considering he's not really a defensive midfielder. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Dan Juma is that type of player. He's a he's a flamboyant, attacking minded yeah. winger. He's not going to one of the front a traditional European front three, like yeah, exactly. And and on the other side, well, Brooks when he's fully fit, you know, shows that he can track back and do good defensive work, but. Not in the shape he's currently in. Uh, I think he looks he looks like he's he needs a whole preseason and then about ten more yeah. games before he's anywhere back to his his, yeah. his best. So I know we've talked about this a lot of times during the season. It does feel a bit square pegs round holes still watching that game yesterday. Yeah, and then also uh, just this constant chopping and changing. So you know we've always seemed to know what our best side was before. So therefore, if we've had a bad game, we've still persevered with those players, and I think people knew where they were at. Um, what uh, what we've seen recently is that you have a you come in, you have a bad game, you're gone. Uh, so the the lack of consistency in the side is alarming. It'd be really interesting to see how often we kept the same side this year. Um, again, I haven't done the exercise, but I, I know off the top of my head, there's hardly ever do you see a side 
And it's the same side that played the week before. And it's almost like I think the players know they've only got to have one bad half and they're off. So Lewis Cook will often play half a game and then go off for Billing. Billing will often play half a game and off for Lewis Cook. Harry Wilson either plays the first half or, or the last half an hour. Um, it, and I think it's it's it, it, that just makes for complete disjointedness. The, there were two things I hoped for when we came back from lockdown and we've not had either. The first thing I hoped for was that we would sit higher up the pitch. It doesn't matter what formation we play, just get the whole block higher up the pitch. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that was the, that was the, that was the first thing that, that I hoped um, that we would do. And then the, the second thing that I hope we would do is just, just return to getting the fullbacks overlapping and, uh, and just have a, have some form of adventure and spirit about us while at the same time deciding on, a hardcore block of 14 players and saying, you're going to be it. You're the ones that are playing. And if you have a bad game, you'll stay in. But we've got nine games and this is how we're going to play. And we haven't done either of those things. And I think that's why we haven't, but we've looked worse not than, since we've come back than we were before. And what do you think Sam Surridge has to do to get off the bench and, and play? Well, I guess the, the technically correct answer is he has to do more in training, I would imagine. So I think Eddie's indicated that there are uh, technical issues that he needs to work on for him to be a Premier League player. What I cannot understand, because that's that's the sort of the, the 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 technically correct media answer to that question. I think the what begs the question is what, there is no better technique in Solanke than there is in Surridge. So are we not better off? giving Surridge a go because the one thing we do know about Surridge is he has goals in him. He scored goals at a decent level of English football. So the championship is, uh, you know, is not the Premier League. There's been lots of goal scorers that have managed the championship well and not the Premier League, but he's not been tried and Solanke's never scored goals at championship level. Uh, so, and I, I doubt he will either. Um, we may well find out, but I doubt he will. So, uh, it is a mystery. It's a real mystery. But I guess the answer is he's not quite done enough in training. But I can't believe that. The other concern, I mean, we talked about the centre-half injury issues, but just generally injury issues. So I thought before that Palace game that we had a full fit squad to choose from and Simon Francis hasn't made it onto the bench yet. You know, arguably, is he a game-changer? Well, yesterday I think he could have been useful. Mm-hmm. Um Andrew Sermon, we talked about him earlier. You know, maybe maybe he has a has a role in midfield, and yet he's not available either. It seems, and we had two goalkeepers on our bench yesterday. Yeah, what what was the thinking there? You know, we're going to going to bring Travers on to play up front. He wouldn't have done any worse than Solanke. <laughs> no, we, um, I, no, that's cruel. That's cruel. He, that um, cruel. <laughs> I think the uh, I think it was because Meppen pulled out while up there, didn't he? as I understand it. So it was literally your ear. You might as well name it. It's a bit tin pot, isn't it, to name a bench where you can't fill a bench. It almost takes us back to the days when we used to write to Sam Vokes' headmaster to see if he could um, get off school to be a sub in, yeah. uh, in a game. Oh, no, it was Jaden Stockley, wasn't it? Yeah, wrote, it was, yeah, Stockley. Yeah, I think, I, think, um, I think it's almost going back to those days when you got two goalkeepers on the bench. But uh, I think it was just the nature of a very late pull-out who was available. Um to come on. And if we're short of midfield players, any chance we could recall a certain offer ball from Wickham after that cracker that he scored for them? I don't think the rules allow it, do they? But um, again, it's sounding, like, sounding really dreadfully pessimistic. I've kind of 
resign myself to championship football next year. I don't know whether that's fair or whether that's just me mentally protecting myself. But you're kind of looking at what the nucleus of that side may be because we we're gonna we're, we should get an influx of cash for players, and we've got ninety million parachute money coming over three years. And then you're looking at players like um, I can never say his name. What was it? I, ca- I called it off the ball, but it's probably wrong. Right, off the ball. So you got players like off the ball coming <coughs> back, and it, you know he's been in and out of the side at Wickham. I don't think he set the world alight, but that goal was very special. Um, you've got uh, is Dobre going to be any good? Uh, Eddie's got a lot of faith in him. Uh, he's not managed to get into Wigan's side though, has he? But but there's been a lot of players that haven't got into other sides that Eddie's turned into really good players when we were in lower leagues. Um, so uh, you know Simon Francis being one of them. So um, so yeah, so it could be really he could come back uh, next year and we could see the basis of a team forming around some younger players. Okay, then final question: Why are we all feeling so much better after yesterday's five-two hammering than we were after a four-one hammering? Well, I think you've got Manchester United. Um, is you've got uh, the fact that we were away, uh, and I think you've, um, you've you've got the fact that we looked like we had goals in us from open play. So I think they're the, they were the three they were the three factors. Actually, yeah. what, uh, sorry, Neil. What were the stats actually? How many shots did we manage? Because it did seem like probably more shots than we'd managed in our four previous games. I should have researched it, but I haven't. Yeah, <laughs> but there, were, yeah. there were def- there were definitely more, um, and uh, and and even if you take shots out of it, we just looked a little bit more dangerous in interplay around their box uh, against you know better defenders. I think the the the, the massive gut wrench is why we couldn't get ourselves into that level of performance for Palace and Newcastle because tomorrow yesterday wasn't a game that any of us really had down as three points neither is Man City um, so all of the others if we play well we have a we have a slight opportunity of points but the two standout fixtures were Palace and Newcastle in which to do that um, and you know I think we will always regret the fact that we couldn't because those six points the way everyone else is playing I think would have been all right there was definitely an element of a free hit about yesterday's game. And yeah. you know, the players looked like they were enjoying playing a bit more with a bit more freedom. Yeah. That suited them. Uh, they didn't look as pressurised. And um, for that 10-minute spell after half-time, albeit we were 3-2 down, but we were in that game and it felt like the old Bournemouth, which, you know, whether we, whether we go down or not, I think I'm happier seeing that sort of performance rather than you know, that abject surrender that we saw the other night. Yeah, we're not a demanding fan base, I don't think, um, compared to, you know, the fan bases at clubs like West Ham or or Newcastle. Um, most most Bournemouth fans are happy to be in the, you know, just delighted to be in the top two leagues in the country and to play football because it's an entertainment business. And I think that's kind of all, all that we want. Um, and that's why a lot of radio commentators can't understand why we're not all phoning up demanding Eddie Howe to be sacked. It's because our, I don't. I think only Bournemouth fans understand our expectations. So later on in the show, we're going to be hearing Jeff and Neil's thoughts on Spurs on Thursday. It's another one of those dreaded 6pm kickoffs. How will we do? 
we will find out and certainly we'll get Neil's prediction as well coming up too. But before that, obviously the full-time free-for-all was something that we're doing on YouTube and through that we're meeting a load of amazing Cherries fans, one of which was Reese, 16 years old, great footballer, check out his Instagram by the way, but he told us about his story being a Bournemouth fan and it was very emotional after the Newcastle game. Now obviously we lost 4-1 and it wasn't a great result, but we saw numerous emotions that day. We saw people saying you know, that they feel betrayed, they feel sad, they feel angry. But Reese was extremely emotional, but he had reasons for it too. So I chatted to him separately in an interview that can be seen in full on the Back of the Net YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. But here is an excerpt from it. Yeah, but I'm I'm happy to tell everyone about my story because I don't really care. Like right. my dream myself is to become a footballer myself. Like I'd hopefully some sometime in the future play for AFC Bournemouth. Mate, that would be quality. Oh, you mate, I did see one of your Instagram uh, videos that you posted of you cracking the crossbar from uh, a long way out, like you know, nearly got it top bins. Decent strike, almost effortless. Yeah. I've got to say, but yeah, I'd love to see you in a Bournemouth shirt and show a bit of passion because. You know, you're a passionate guy, obviously, and that's one thing the teams are lacking. But, yeah, you wanted to come on and tell your story. So in terms of supporting, I mean, you know, where were you born? Um, how did you get into supporting Bournemouth? You know, you can tell us everything. So I was born Paul Town, um, Paul Town um, Hospital, quite close to Bournemouth. So I was born there and... We, um, the day after that, um, we moved back to Duck Lane. Um, so I can't, I can't remember it in Pacifics because I was really little. Yeah. But we moved to um, um, back home to um, Bournemouth. Yeah. So this is before I was. This is when I was in my mum's stomach. So my mum and my dad had an abusive relationship. At, um. Like they kept fighting verbally and physically, and it wasn't good for me. And for my first birthday, I I looked like I was almost gonna die. Like there was bruises every everywhere in my face. I had a busted up lip, and yeah, it's just a lot of crazy stuff. What's happened? Like, and so. My mum and my dad broke up in the in the end, and I lived with my mum for like a couple. Well, me and my mum left Bournemouth, and then we went back to Bournemouth because my mum was scared of my dad, because my mum and my dad were both drug addicts, and uh, my mum went to a woman's refuge refuge in Newbury, and went back to Bournemouth for I don't know why, and so because my dad went sober, clean, everything, he decided to take me away from Bournemouth when I was three. I, I, I remember it and I've spoken to him about it and it's described. So it's at Bournemouth train station. It's late at night. I think it's 2007. I can't remember fully. I was in the pram. My mum gave me this chocolate thing or whatever. She was in tears. My dad took me away from... Um, my mum from the other platform, and we got the train to Reading. And from that, I, 
I can't remember. That's the only thing I can remember from being a younger age. And so, uh, it, I don't find it quite difficult. But when I was um six, um, when I was living with my dad in Redden, he gave, he shouted at me, did horrible stuff like he almost beat me up when I was only six years old and like the police had to be called in and everything like that and so I don't remember my dad and my mum that well so that's why I love Bournemouth or not love Bournemouth Bournemouth is the only not identity, but yeah. it's the only place I can remember from my parents. It's not a yeah. good experience, but I mean, it's where you were born. You know, you know, like it's the area you sort of where we uh, you were I, born. I, and have you lived in Reading since? Yeah, I've I've got family in Bournemouth still. Like I've got an aunt. Well, not, she's not family, family, but she she was like a close friend to my mum. And um, I don't think she speaks to my mum anymore, but she goes to Bournemouth games. And I, sp- I, sp- I speak to her here and there, but I look at her as an auntie. She's a lovely woman. Mm. Something happened in 2014. My mum, I'm not going to name this person, but the Bournemouth Echo posted something about my mum beating up a 92-year-old woman because the 92-year-old woman called her a slut. My mum's not... From what my mum's went... I can't talk, sorry. From what my mum went through, um, her childhood was more fucked up than mine. That's why she's, like, a crazy person. Like, it said, woman from hell beat up a 92-year-old woman. And it has her whole entire name and surname. And it has the thing that upsets upsets me about it is in the Bournemouth Echo that it has my, her surname in it. And and that's my surname. Mm. And so I don't care about that. That's just something stupid. But the main reason why I support this club was, I think it was in, when I was in year eight or year seven, where... Uh, a couple of my friends were quite sporty. They liked football. I liked playing football, mm. but I I didn't know what team I supported. I didn't know which one was me. And I looked in the Premier League and I saw, oh, it's 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 Bournemouth. I d- I wouldn't expect my hometown to be in the Premier League. Mm. And so ever since I've been so obsessed. Like I always look at the pre-match press conference. I pre-match press conferences yeah like i list always listen to bbc radio solo when i can't watch matches because i'm a massive fan of chris temple and i love their commentary i prefer the commentary over any other commentators like they make it so interesting it's so creative um i normally when i do my revision when the bournemouth when bournemouth are playing i normally put on my speakers over there 
put um on my Bluetooth and I put it to um BBC Radio Silent and I listen to them about what's going on in a match and I just scream my head off if we score or if we lose. Like I don't know. I just like doing that. But mm. it just connects you to the area, I suppose, and you know, obviously where you were, you know, brought up and also we've always been historically an underdog. Like you said, you know, you didn't expect them to be in the Premier League. None of us did. None of us did. I mean, how old are you now? 16. 16. So, yeah, I mean, you know, 2000 and, you know, 2004, 2005, in, you know, going on from that, we were having some very low moments. Um, minus 17 points in 2007. I mean, you know, you've obviously seen all the documentaries and stuff on YouTube, so you know about our history. And it's about that sort of underdog, you know, coming through and shining. And uh, 2015, we sort of made the Premier League. So uh, the club have got this sort of together, anything is is a possible motto. Um, Does that sort of almost make you feel more part of it? Because you could have supported Reading. You could have, but you chose not to. I never liked Reading, to be honest. Hmm. We have much more incredible history than they Hmm. do. Um, I look at the together anything is possible because I've got two career choices. I either want to pursue my dream as a footballer or I want to become an actor because I've done um, drama school since I was nine and it's always made me like, um, it's made my self-confidence go higher and made me much an um, happier person talking to our audience. Yeah. What a guy. What a guy. Reese, unbelievable fella. And uh, yeah, remember, you can uh, follow him on Instagram. Um, just go to our YouTube channel and you'll find out all the details for that. So then, Thursday night, it's Spurs. Let's go back to Neil and Jeff. So, Neil... It's another one of those dreaded 6pm kickoffs. Our last two haven't exactly gone to plan, but are you feeling a little more optimistic given what we saw against Manchester United? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And also a, a little optimistic in that Tottenham seem to be going through that stage that every Mourinho side go through where um, the football becomes a little bit... Uh, stymied uh, and the fans get a little bit critical. Obviously, there's none in the stadium, um, but uh, I'm sure they still hear that. So um, it's a it's a good good potential time to be playing Tottenham um, and nice that we showed a little bit of our old spirit against Manchester United to help us. When we first played Spurs um, earlier this season, I think it was one of Mourinho's first games, if not his first game in charge, yep. and we went down 3-2. I mean, we were 3-0 down and then came back to uh, with a sort of flattering scoreline to Harry Wilson goals. Um, personally, I think the Mourinho factor is is the one thing that could work in our favour because you look at that lineup of strikers that they've got, Kane, Son and Ali, and you think, well, that's that's probably as good as the, the three that we played against Manchester United the other day and we shipped five against them. Yeah, but we that's... Um... If you think about it, Manchester United hadn't scored five at home uh, for nine years. And a large reason for that was for quite a few of those years, Jose Mourinho was their manager. Um, And I think, uh, so if you look at Tottenham, he's managed to take a forward line that um, 
in its day under Pochettino was, you know, arguably as good as Liverpool's forward line uh, in terms of how it could take teams apart. And he's managed to make them look a little bit like our forward line. So I think we've got, um, yeah, we you've got to cling to hope, and that that's my hope. They're not looking uh, at Sheffield United. They just looked um, really, really poor. They did. They did. And that was reassuring. And they're playing Monday night. They are playing Everton. Uh, We don't know the result of that fixture at the time of this recording. So they will have uh, less time to prepare. Um, And we, I mean, what what sort of shape are we going to play, do you think, against them? Who knows these days, Jeff? Who knows? (laughs) It could be anything. It looks like Eddie's gone... Eddie plays formations for long periods of time, as we know. Uh, he likes to get everyone settled into a rhythm. The last two games have been 4-4-2. Uh, my anticipation is we will see 4-4-2 again. I just think we'll see Wilson come back for um, Solanke. 4-4-2 is Eddie's uh, default shit or bust formation that he's used all of his career. Whenever things go wrong, he goes back to that. Um, so it's no surprise. It would be no surprise to me. I think we'll see Wilson ahead of King, um, and uh, probably Cook and Lerma sitting deep, um, and uh, Brooks and Stanislas out wide would be. Well, it, it, obviously he's played Josh King on that sort of wide uh, outside left position, which didn't look great in in King's first uh, game back, I must say. But no. maybe that might give Stanislas a bit more flexibility to wander a bit more centrally, which could be good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, who knows? And then back four wise, we're not really sure whether Cook or Mepham will be back. Uh, you would think that if one of those is back. Uh, Lloyd Kelly's going to move back out to the left and Rico will get benched. What do yeah. you reckon about Stacey replacing Smith? I don't think he'll do it. Uh, I think uh, I think Smith is still a better player, uh, even though he's not in good form. And Smith um, normally puts in a shift against Tottenham because it's his old club. So I would, I'd be surprised to see that. And I think... Uh, I think Stacey wasn't too hot in his last game before he was dropped either. So I think I think that's it's a combination of those things. I'd expect Smith to start. And are you going to keep Rambo in goal instead of Boric? I think he will. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he jettisoned on the back of one game. And I think he would worry about uh, Arthur Boric's got great form against Spurs, hasn't he? Of um, was there one game where he gave him four goals? I think wasn't there. So mm-hmm. I think he. Yeah, no, I'd be. I would be surprised if uh, if, if if that happened. And defensively, Spurs have looked more vulnerable since they, they've come back after the break. Do you think there is reason to hope that we'll get more than one shot on goal in the 95th minute? Yeah, so the other hope that we've got is, and I think it's why we played better against Manchester United, since we became a counter-attacking side, we play better, um, again, hence why we've had results against Chelsea and uh, Manchester United earlier on in the season. We played better against teams where the onus is on them to attack because of their name and their reputation. Where we've become less effective is uh, we don't demolish the teams that we used to, like the Swansea's and the whole cities of the world, um, because we sit too deep uh, and we allow them to get comfortable. Um, uh, and I think we saw that with Palace and Newcastle uh, um that they were there really to be re- to attack and press back, and once they realised that wasn't going to happen, uh, so so we are at the moment bizarrely. I would back us more to potentially get something out the Tottenham game than I would against uh, against Crystal Palace. And 
fantasy territory, I know, but if we are to stay up, how many points do you think we need? How many wins do you think we actually need to get in the last five? Two. The way everyone else is playing. That's you know that's that's the that's the sad thing about this whole scenario. Everyone came back saying, "Oh, I think we're going to need three, possibly four wins." And we were looking at Palace, Newcastle, Southampton, and then could we snatch anything at Everton or Wolves? I think we'll look back at the end of the season and be really surprised if you, how many games we actually did have to win in the last nine, because I don't think it's going to be many at all. And what have Spurs got left to play for as well? Because I'm not sure that there's anything other than a Europa League place on offer to them, really. No. They've got the pride, and they've always got that bizarre battle to finish above Arsenal in the North London League table. They've got that, I guess, that they keep one eye on. Uh, I think they've... Um, I, I think they haven't got a lot to play for, and I think they're looking like they're not really enjoying the football that they're playing, which is... Um, we're just waiting, aren't we, for the mid-season Mourinho meltdown uh, as he flounces off and then gets a... A top contract somewhere else. Well, I remember last season's game. I mean, who could forget last season's game? And it also, it feels like a long time since we had a player sent off against us. Yeah. Um, can you remember? Actually, was it that Spurs game, the last time that a player got dismissed against us? It doesn't feel like we've had any 11 v 10. Oh, Palace, wasn't it? Where we <laughs> singularly failed to do anything. Oh, yeah, where we wished he stayed on because we were looking... <laughs> we were looking but again, there you have it. When... When teams defend, so when Palace just just defended, when we can't break down because we sit so deep, we cannot break teams down when they defend. It's the same against Wolves, uh, who are also a counter-attacking side. Uh, it's very difficult for us. So, but no, that game was that was good. That was a fantastic game last season because it it really did look if any side was going to win it. At times, it was them on the break with um, uh, Lucas. Uh, is it Lucas Moore? Lucas Moore. Moore. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I kept thinking, I can't believe we're going to lose to nine men because there were a couple of times where he broke and beat three of our players and I thought, please don't score. So it was just fantastic to, it was great to that moment at the end with Nathan Ake was fantastic. And and of course, Mark Travers, you're talking about should they drop Ramsdale for Borak? Well, Mark Travers um, had the game of his life, didn't he? So He did, he did. And a, a bit of reverse symmetry. After that game last season, we went away and lost... Uh, was it, we sh we lost five three to Palace, I think, immediately the yep, game yep. after. Yep. So having conceded five the week before, maybe we're due a one nil win again. What do you reckon? I think there's clutching at straws, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's full, a mark, full marks to you because I'm, I'm now liking that theory. Who knows? Who knows? Well, look, thanks Neil for your time. Look no forward uh, look forward to Thursday and uh, catching up with you again. Your input is ever much appreciated. So let's see what Sam thinks about this crunch game. Brilliant stuff. Cheers, Neil. Cheers, Jeff. It's going to be a hell of a match on Thursday. And I said at the end of uh, the YouTube piece on Saturday evening that I think it's, this is the linchpin game of our Premier League season. I think this basically determines whether we stay up or whether we go down. And I think it's win or bust, basically. If we win, I think we'll be staying up. But if we don't, well we can prepare for the likes of the New York Stadium and, well, all the rest of the Carrow Road again. Well, why not? Yeah, it's going to be um, a difficult season if we're in the Championship, but we could stay in the Premier League, but it, it, it all depends on the Spurs result. So, you know what? I'm going to be optimistic and I'm going, 
Shall I? Yeah, I'm going to go for a 2-0 Bournemouth win. Madness, yeah. 2-0 to Bournemouth, that's what I'm saying. You heard it here first. So that just about wraps up another podcast. Appreciate it if you stuck around to this point in time. Remember, if you are enjoying the content that we're putting out, I would have, uh, well, I would love it if you managed to give a review to us on your podcast app. If you can hit five stars, that would be really appreciated. Or if you can leave some positive words, well, that would be, I mean, we'd be equally grateful for that too. Plus the YouTube channel, that's picking up loads of momentum at the moment. And uh, it gives us license to do stuff like the interview with Reese, like part of which you heard earlier. And if you want to give your story or want to come on after a game, feel free. Just head to the YouTube channel and all the information will be on there. Now, earlier on in the show, we asked you about when ASC Bournemouth's last Premier League penalty was converted, of course, before the match at Old Trafford on Saturday. And, well, you're looking back to almost the very start of the season, our very first away game. That was at Villa Park. And remember that Callum Wilson was felled inside the first, like, minute or so. Josh King stepped up to convert the penalty and we ended up winning 2-1 there. Before that... You're looking back to March 2019 and that two-all match with Newcastle United at Dean Court. Matt Ritchie scoring that last-minute equaliser. Well, it seemed last-minute anyway. But Josh King scored a penalty in that as well. So if you got that right, well done. It was at Villa Park on the second match of this season in August. So there we go. That wraps up another Back of the Net. Really appreciate you listening today. And remember, next Monday we'll be back, same time, same place. Hopefully we'll be in a positive frame of mind. Who knows? But it all starts on Thursday against Spurs. Fingers crossed. Come on, you cherries. Until then, you've been listening to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Come back to the left foot of Stanislas into the six-yard box, blocked away. Still the Cherries have it. Stanislas to the byline, and Junior Stanislas has scored. Brad Long, 15 minutes. He did it against United straight from a corner. Same angle, much closer. What a start here at Old Trafford. It's Junior Stanislas from an impossible angle. It's Manchester United nil, Bournemouth one. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.